welcome to episode 15 of the Coach Fury podcast. For those that don't know who I am, I'm Steve Coach Fury Holliner. I'm a fitness trainer and educator based in Brooklyn, New York. I teach classes, online training, and personal training, both in Brooklyn, in the Gowanus area, and also in Midtown Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan. And before we get into this episode, I just wanted to give a massive shout out to my family in Japan uh, at Kineticos, Travis Johnson and Karitani for bringing me out. I just taught an HKC kettlebell cert and original strength pressing reset course last weekend. Um, and also to Taizo Lamura, who uh, also does a lot of stuff for me behind the scenes. And these are just really good friends that go so far beyond um, what the expectations would be, not just to run an amazing event for the groups we teach for, um, for the people that follow them and for the attendees, but also they take me everywhere. Uh, it's kind of, it's just great to get to hang out with them. And they take me to all my nerdy Godzilla themed Ultraman themed spots. So, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. They are literally making my dreams come true. Um, as well as to John Duquesne, Danny Almeida and Tim Anderson for these opportunities to teach for these groups that allow me to go out there as well. Um, I love teaching and I love getting to travel to teach. Getting paid for it is an absolute uh, joy. It's kind of crazy that this this is happening um, or that I find myself in these situations. Uh, so I just wanted to show some severe gratitude to those guys and also to the attendees, some of which I, a couple of which had come to the HKC in one of my workshops last time. A few came to both of the courses this time, uh, to my new Japanese friends out there. It was amazing. It's very interesting to begin teaching kettlebells and a movement restoration program um, when you're not fully aware of people's baselines, because fitness tends to have a slightly different focus in Japan. Um, There isn't a ton of kettlebell use or heavy barbell use. Um, at least not with the people that have been coming to my courses. Movement's a big focus. TRX seems to be very big. Um, And Travis and Kauri and Taizo, who are also three fellow DVRT master instructors, have done a great job of introducing DVRT training uh, in the area. Uh, And by area, I mean outside of Tokyo. I mean, just covering Japan. Um, It's amazing to see how you can simplify your coaching when there's a language barrier where you're basically using like very limited words and hand gestures. It seems silly at times, but it gets the point to cross most of the time. So that's an interesting exercise. And just being able to like share these bonds through strength and fitness and our common goals. It's really cool. And <laughs> it's, it's nice to see when they find out how Godzilla nerdy I am, um, that there's like a different type of connection made than if I was not into Godzilla and samurai films and Ultraman and stuff like that. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. It was an amazing trip. And I'm very excited to announce that we are going to be bringing the RKC there the last weekend of October. Um, we visited a, a university, the Teikyo University of Science, and I actually gave one of the classes, a little impromptu kettlebell swing lesson. So we're going to be bringing that over there. Keep an eye out or an ear out for that. Um, and I'm hoping, because it looks very likely, we'll be bringing OS back out there as well. Uh, all the events were very successful, um, largely thanks to Travis Calory and Taizo. And Calorie's just an amazing presenter. She translates for me, but she's a, a superstar presenter in her own right. She teaches more than anybody I know. and um, It's just a treat to get to work with her on that end. So... 
I uh, visited a lot of cool spots. Um, we went to an Ultraman bad guy only themed restaurant called Kaiju Sakaba in uh, Shimbashi. Um, I came home with a lot of Ultraman toys. Um, got to go to the first Godzilla store, dedicated Godzilla store that opened up in a mall out there. Um, got a couple of exclusives, exclusive toys at both of those locations. Um, got some gifts for the kids. Um, but it really was more of a toy hunt. Um, but I also got to go back to the Tokyo Tower and visit Sozoji Temple. And I will say there is something, um, the one thing I've noticed is there's an overwhelming calm that sort of comes over me, especially when I get to go to the temple. Uh, it really makes me want to come home and throw out all my shit and uh, minus the toys in my movie collection and just simplify life. Um, so again, thank you to everybody that allows me to teach and everybody that came and just all the cool people that I met. It's kind of rad to uh, say I have friends in Japan right now. And I also, I, I, last year when I went, I tried to plan to really learn the language and just so much stuff happened. You know, I got married, I had the Graves disease. Um, I, I went independent as a trainer, so I'm fully self-employed and uh, that didn't happen. So that is my goal for coming back out there next year is to learn more of the language. But the, on the one successful point is I did finally start to wrap my head around the trains and how the trains work out there and how to get to places. So um, I'll be able to give Travis and Calgary a little bit of a break next time because they are super generous. Uh, and again, I'm sure nobody else has taken them <laughs> to all these Godzilla stores. So it's much appreciated. Um, we went to another uh, vintage toy shop, uh, manga shop called Mandaraki in uh, Shibuya. And... Uh, <laughs> It was creepy. It was like four floors, four floors down in the basement. Um, it was not the best of the Mandarakis that I've been to, but uh, there was a woman singing karaoke, a uh, young woman singing karaoke down there in the basement. Uh, it was just a very odd vibe. I wouldn't want to work even amongst all those toys that far down. Uh, I did get to see the new Godzilla anime, Godzilla Monster Planet, uh, with no subtitles, so I don't know fully what went on, but it was pretty cool to see. Uh, a lot more action than the last Godzilla Shin Godzilla movie, and I did not realize that it's going to be a trilogy, so uh, there's going to be two more of those. And it's just kind of crazy to get to say that I've seen two Godzilla movies now in Japan at a Toho Cinemas. Um, these were also, um, both of them were at the Toho Cinemas, attached to the Hotel Gracie, in Shinjuku, which is also the Godzilla Hotel. So what that means is there's one room that is specifically Godzilla-themed, um, but there is a two-scale Godzilla head and claw on the eighth floor looking over the main street of Shinjuku. And uh, I went to go and say hello to that guy again. Uh, there are certain rooms that are considered Godzilla viewing rooms where outside your window you can look at the, the head of Godzilla. And I had the perfect room last year. Um, no need to go back. The hotel's super nice, but they did not appreciate me having tattoos there. Security guard had asked me to cover up. Um, tattoos are still frowned upon and heavily considered Yakuza-related. Uh, and Shijuku is the only part that I actually saw. I, I feel like, yeah, if I'm going to get mugged in Japan, it would be there. But enough of Japan and all the thanks. I mean, I can never thanks enough. But I'm going to talk to you about my next guest. Uh, I'm going to introduce him really quickly because you're going to hear a little bit more in a moment. But this is Mike Lyon, one of the two partners and co-founders of Pedestal Footwear. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Lyon, episode 15. Hey! 
Hey listeners, I'm super excited for my next guest. Now this is one of those guests uh, that I actually don't know very well, but I really like how I got to meet this person. So I had heard of pedestal socks from both Josh Hankin and Mark Fisher. I don't remember who I heard from them first. And as someone who not only trains in a bunch of facilities, but also travels to teach in a bunch of facilities, I like training barefoot. Um, but I don't necessarily love being barefoot in a bunch of different facilities and roving around. Um, there, if, if you've gone to a bunch of gyms, you can generally tell, and this isn't like that anyone's unclean, but you can definitely see the difference on the bottom of your feet from facility to facility. Like at Five Points Academy, you can pretty much eat off your feet, like off the floor. It's, you, you never see dirt on your feet and other facilities are still pretty clean. And then you look down on your feet and whether it's just the type of mats they have, they're black. Um, and I don't like taking my sneakers on and off. I'm lazy that way. So I invested in a couple of pairs of pedestal socks for myself and ended up teaching about three or four courses on them an RKC, uh, an HKC. And I went to a strength faction course and, and there's something else I'm spacing out in between that. And I really, I really loved them. Um, and so I wrote the, the guys, uh, Mike Lyon, today's guest, and Brendan, uh, just via the Pedestal Footwear customer service email on their website. Um, I didn't know them prior. And I was just like, hey, guys, I just want to say great product. I, I taught a few courses on them, really love them, keep up the good work. And what was really cool is Mike directly responded to my email, said thank you for the feedback, but also like, hey, can we hop on the phone and talk about working together? And... As somebody through MFF in particular, I just really appreciate customer service. Um, and then I also just really appreciated the directness of like, hey, let's see if we can make something happen together. So today's guest uh, is Mike Lyon, one of the two founding members, co-owners of Pedestal Footwear. If you're not familiar with what that is, we'll go into more detail, but it's like a fancy sock company for fitness um, that I can really stand behind now because I just taught... Uh, two courses in Japan, and I wore them several days while I was out there. Um, but first, before I get into this, Mike, why don't you introduce yourself a little better than I did? Um, and just uh, if somebody's wondering what what is pedestal footwear, um, you know, let them know what that is. Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Steve Fury. Um, anyway, yeah. So my name is Mike Lyon. I'm the co-founder of Pedestal Footwear. Um, before we even get started, obviously, I want to give a huge credit to Brendan McKee, my co-founder. Um, you know, without him, a lot of things wouldn't have happened here. So a uh, big shout out to him. I know he's, he's somewhere around here in Boston, but uh, he'll be in shortly. Um, yeah, so the long story short on pedestal footwear is uh, we wanted to create a sock that served uh, people in the training space. We, don't, we didn't necessarily care about what they wear outside, what they're, what they're running in. It was how do we replace a traditional training sneaker at a quarter of the price and be better for your body and American made. And so that's how Pedestal came about. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the story behind Pedestal as well is that, you know, both Brendan and I uh, had uh, serious injuries in high school, college, him in college. Um, and so uh, we noticed the first thing that, we, you know, we, luckily we had access to good strength and conditioning, which, you know, going through this whole process, we start to realize that it's unfortunate how high school kids don't have public good access at their public high school or even their private school, they're paying big bucks to attend. They don't really have access to a good strength and conditioning coach with proper programming, et cetera. And uh, I was lucky enough to have one person, his name is Dr. Aaron Mattis. I uh, went and saw a specialist. I had a serious back injury in high school. My L5 like shot out a quarter inch. Oh, wow. I could barely walk and 
I still think I'd actually have an extra inch or two of my height if I, if I didn't get injured. But uh, yeah, so I went on and it was all about active isolated stretching. And the first thing he had me do was take my shoes off and we never wore shoes in our training sessions. And obviously that was a while ago, but you know, then I started to realize as I got older that more and more people were taking their shoes off to work out and they're running around in crusty old white socks. So I wanted to sort of create a product to serve that market. Oh, it's awesome. I'll, I'll say for the RKC, especially in the old days, is where I was sort of introduced. Um, well, I found kettlebells first at a martial arts gym, so there was no shoes or socks on the mat, right? That was just like a rule. So that mm-hmm. was always there. Um, but then being introduced to hard style kettlebell training, you know, being barefoot or very minimalist. And this was sort of when I think Vibrams were just starting to come out from the underground, yep. Yep. Um, the five finger shoes. And so those were like super popular for training. But as somebody, my feet are actually fairly arthritic from years of skateboarding. So I don't love being in minimalist footwear all day as a coach. Like it's just my feet start to kill me at a certain point. So this idea of like, you know, being barefoot was fine in one facility. I didn't love it. Like at MFF, for example, MFF has, Mark Fisher Fitness has uh, in Hell's Kitchen, several different like sort of doors you go inside and out. They've minimized it now. Mm -hmm. So you sort of wanted to wear shoes more throughout that. And finding the socks was like sort of the perfect thing because I did get so I was backtracking in the RKC in the old days you you basically if you went to the cert you had to be either barefoot or in very specific minimalist footwear or the entire group of 70 to 80 people would have to do punishment swings if somebody was (laughs) in the wrong shoes this is going back and and then that sort of faded but you do want to have the the point is that you do want to have contact with the floor when you're lifting and this isn't just a kettlebell thing anymore we're realizing it's part of the dvrt ultimate sandbag training certainly in original strength um we're looking at minimalist footwear to barefoot there's just a lot of good happens when your feet are connected with the ground um and then one of the things as somebody that got into fitness late in life you realize you know, and I did this with my kids and I feel guilty about it to a degree. We rush to get kids to walk. We put them in walking shoes that really limit their foot's potential right out the gate. And then we put big cushy sneakers on, uh, soften our impact on everything that we might be doing wrong in our stride. Um, and we need to reclaim your feet in a way similar to any type of other mobility. Uh, so a, you're stronger from that point from the ground up and B it's, it, it's just like any other part of the body that you should be utilizing as opposed to just like making it feel soft against the ground. Yeah. So uh, any, I, I, no, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first of all, you know, I feel my brother is now a father of two and I feel bad because literally every month, I mean, he's six one and his wife is five eleven. So my nephew, Jack, I mean, every month they're getting new sneakers for this kid, you know? I mean, so you can only imagine, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine buying sneakers for kids every half size, you know, it's like crazy, uh, the expense. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be, to start, I mean, the feet aren't sexy, right? People, uh, like if they go to the beach, they're not like, yo, check out my feet. Like that's not, that's not what happens. Right. But for performance and mitigating injury, it's important. And people don't realize like go to any gym and look at a guy who's over 40 years old's feet. Right. And then compare it to a kid right? Or a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid. Um, not that I suggest you go and stare at a 15, 16-year-old yeah. kid. Ha- have a lawyer ready. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and an alibi. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, current events. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, uh, the impact of a shoe on the foot over time, over years, 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 
you don't realize, but then soon enough, you take your feet off. You're like, whoa, these are my feet. You know, nobody stops to look at their feet and understand their foot condition, right? Um, and so that's the big thing, you know, not, not only do we provide product, yeah, it's great. You have a sock, cool, you know, but it's like, we also provide programming and content, you know, sort of just like these DVRT, these other companies that build content. And so the first thing we usually have people do is take their feet off and analyze what their foot is doing. Right. Um, because as a coach, how do you even program and tell somebody, Hey, this is how you squat. This is how you look. If you don't know what their foot is doing, Right, which is amazing because the foot and wearing the shoe can really mask those um, to a certain degree, and you would never realize as a coach. Yeah, completely. It, it's an interesting factor where you know I went from this hard line with it, and and now I'm more I'll ease people into taking their shoes off because some people are really uncomfortable about it because mm-hmm. feet aren't sexy. Um, some people are super self. Uh, um, yeah, self conscious. Conscious about yeah. their feet, especially like I'll admit, you know, I've got slightly arthritic feet from yeah. 20 plus years of skateboard 25 plus years of skateboarding and bmx yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know i got that like awesome right bunion thing happened on my right foot yeah. uh, it's a good look <laughs> you know? but yeah. it, it's an important yeah. when somebody comes in and and you know say one of the baseline exercises we show at, at say mff out the gate may, it might be a split squat and right. You know, even in partial range of motion, when people are just shaking on their feet trying to find balance, you, you, you get them on the floor and suddenly without their shoes on. And even in like minimalist guys, like we, we have to talk about like minimalist shoes, like even like Nike Freeze might have too much in them. I'm not dissing the footwear. Right. Um, yeah. But even certain like I have two types of uh, New Balance Minimus that I wear. One are very much more thinner to the ground than the other pair. Yep. Um, and I perform better without either of them. So even yeah. in minim- minimal footwear, you have to be aware that there's ranges. The floor is the best. Um, but I completely appreciate that people don't want to go barefoot now, um, yes. especially if it's outside of a martial arts you know, right. area. Um, but I will say this. Taboo, yeah, know? well, in martial arts, I completely get it too yeah. because it's like you know, uh, just respect for the floor and traction and all that stuff. Yeah. And then at normal gyms, if you're going to a blink or a crunch or an equinox, like it's sort of either looked upon weird or you quite frankly, all those sneakers are coming from the outside, right? You don't know what you're then tracking on your feet. Yep, uh, I know I was just teaching in Japan, and when we went to the host facility, um for an HKC and an OS course, like you, know, you leave your shoes outside or you have inside and outside shoes, which mm-hmm. is like a whole other nightmare to carry around in your backpack. <laughs> yeah. Just having a pair of socks that you wear in your shoes and then take your sneakers off and rock. Right. And that's yeah. how I've been using my, my pedestal. So yeah. um, there's a lot of factors in that. And then I know that I did get lazy about letting some people wear, just wear regular socks in class. Um, as part of just sort of gym policy, it was sort of, you know, not uh, the preferred way. Uh, and then a friend of mine, um, after a class, not with me, um, not anyone's fault, slipped, broke her wrist. Oh. And you don't hear about those types of things often, but like those cautionary tales serve a purpose. So, you know, I was already wearing the pedestal socks before that happened. But, you know, the pedestal socks have some grip on it. So as opposed to just being in your socks and walking around in your socks um, or having even like, you know, the five finger socks that some people wear, I think having the grip is actually like a super important element of what you guys deliver in terms of making like something to wear for fitness purposes. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Steve, so if you can just, when you look for a sneaker, right, let's say pedestal didn't exist. When you look for a sneaker, a training sneaker, what do you look for, right? 
what are, what are some things? So I have to go. My first thing is always right now. Um, is it, is, you know, how thick is the sole? Yep. How much upsweep is the toe? And for me, because I do have wide feet, especially my right sexy bunion foot, yeah. um, <laughs> SBF sexy bunion uh, foot. Yeah. Um, I have to, I need, I have wide feet. So I need something that's got a wide, uh, toe box. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, I mean, those are pretty much what, you know, when we develop the product is like, okay, what are things people are looking for in sneakers? Cause that's the first thing you have to you know, sort of examine and it's okay. They want zero drop or they want a uh, minimalist. Okay. That's great. We have that covered already. Then it's like, well, you know, what are the objections you'll face? Well, ah, oh, this is going to smell, you know, like, Oh, you know, like I don't want to wear socks and you know, look at that guy, his feet must smell. And so that's why we increase, we, uh, um, included silver in the product, which kills odor and bacteria. And now our first versions had the treatment, so it would wash out over time. But now our newest versions are actually lined with it. So it will stay odor and bacteria-free for the life of the garment. So, you know, so that's that objection. The other one is, you know, you want some grip on the bottom. Obviously, you want some traction, um, which obviously we have a grip design on the bottom, which, you know, gives you, you know, good traction in all three movement planes. But, um, you know, the other objection we face is what if I drop a weight on my foot? Now, this is something that really gets me fired up because, you know, you take anybody and you drop a 40-pound kettlebell, I mean, a 40-kilo kettlebell or whatever weight on their foot, okay, it's going to hurt no matter what you're wearing. Even if you're wearing a steel-toed boot, right, which who's going to wear that in the gym? I mean, hallelujah to you. Like, I don't yeah. know, whatever you want to wear is whatever you want to wear as long as you're getting to the gym, right? That's the, the point. But, you know, it's not really going to do anything. So that objection is sort of like people are like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I guess it's not like I do anything, right? Um, so those are our two objections we face. The other one, obviously, is like, you know, what if I have flat feet, which, you know, is a common objection. People will go right to orthotics, but it's like, you know, you can actually build arch and strengthen your feet. And it's like atrophied almost, you know? Um, so just waking your feet up. Um, but that's why, you know, we're no experts in this field, but that's why we get people like you and other strength and conditioning coaches, specialists, podiatrists, whoever – to sort of roll the boat for us and sort of, Hey, look, this is an option. Now we're never going to be like, you know, I know in the first couple of years of uh, Reebok CrossFit, it was like, you have to wear your Reebok CrossFit. <laughs> if you want to be part of this box, you know? And it's like, that just didn't, it didn't sit well with people. I'm never going to force anybody like, or, or, you know, I love sneakers. I'm a sneaker head, but like when it comes to training, I've been wearing sneakers to work out in over three years now. Right. So it's like, it's kind of, you know, we'll own that space, but whatever else you want to wear is great. And we're not going to force it on anybody. It's just a good option. And you can still wear them in sneakers, like you said. Yeah, it's, um, I'll say in terms of the no smell thing. So one of the things when I, you know, what I reached out to, to these guys about is, so when I, when I try to travel very light and since the socks don't really get like soaking wet, they dry quick and they don't get funky. Like I don't pack as many socks. So like, I think I'll wear like, you know, if I bring two pairs of pedestals, that's probably like, you know, uh, four to five days of socks for me. And that's yeah. including not that, you know, that's teaching all day and then sightseeing all day. Uh, like I, I was just got back from Japan for a week. Um, and there is no funk and I never feel like I'm putting something gross on my feet. And I, I don't want this to sound like, uh, just Mike and I doing a commercial to sell socks. What, what I want to get across is that Mike and Brendan had a great idea. They saw a problem and they put ideas on how to fix it that A, made sense and, and B, totally work. Yep. And as someone that teaches for different 
fitness education systems, the footwear thing is a commonality between all of us. Some of us have harsher degrees in terms of like, you know, the RKC tends to be the strictest on it. Um, I know in Strong First, it's, all, it's, it's about the feet as well. And it's something we pay attention to very much so in OS and DVRT as well, that like this is just a general fitness thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in the minimalist footwear, what, like the most popular powerlifting shoe is a Chuck All-Star. So if you are going to drop your weight on your foot in, in Chucks, you're, you're not getting any extra protection out of that either. So that is another one that I, I don't necessarily buy into. I'd actually go the safety factor of being on the ground and being more stable outweighs the potential risk for dropping a weight on your foot. Right. And proprioceptively, right. If you're yeah. bare, you just think about walking around the house barefoot or outside, if you have to run out to your car to get something like, you're a little more cognizant of where you're walking and where you're stepping and what's going on around you, right? Yes, so completely. Like, you know, so that's another factor is, you know, proprioceptively, you're a little more aware of where you are in space and what's going on. So you're probably less likely to drop away to your foot. But yeah, I mean, long story short, uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's just a matter of uh, educating. You know, we're never going to push it on anybody. It's just an option for people as well. You know, we, we we're going to push this shit on people, Mike. We're going to push it on people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So you know, we kind of consider ourselves like a barefoot training utensil. Like you can use it, like a TRX strap or anything else. A you know, a Bosu ball, whatever, whatever that may be that you want to use. You know, you want to do some barefoot work. Great. You don't. Great. Um, so be it. You know. Awesome. So let's. One of the things I wanted to talk about, the great thing about what I love about you guys that you've done is, um, A, having an idea and actually taking it through manufacturing. I think there's a lot of trainers that come up with ideas uh, and then get lost or stalled in how do we go about the next steps. So for you and Brendan, how did it go? What what was your first sort of path to your first prototype? What was that process like? Yeah, so... um I would say first, the biggest thing if you have a concept or idea that you want to manufacture is, um, you know, one of the, the biggest pieces of advice I've ever received was, and it's so simple, is would you actually use this? You know what I mean? Because chances are, if you'll actually use it, you're probably not the only person in this world that's going to use it. Now, how big that market is, is yet to be determined. That takes research and whatever. Um, the second is build it excellent. Like try to make it as excellent as you can and have some sort of purpose. Um, and so, you know, obviously I had this back injury I was telling you about earlier. Um, but, um, so I didn't train and choose. So I was like, okay, how can I develop the sock? Right. Um, and so that was one is like, I'm going to use it. I'm sure other people who have in- injury or rehabbing will probably use it. The next is how do you make it excellent? And what we wanted to do was source it in America, you know, and make it American made because, you know, I can get on a flight, and be down to our manufacturer in two hours and say, Hey, what's going on? And, you know, not that, you know, you were just in Japan. It's great. But like speaking English is a, is a little easier for us to communicate what we're trying to get yeah. across. Right. I mean, I talk with my manufacturer about fantasy football, dating, whatever you want to talk about. Um, not that that makes the process better. It's just a little more comfortable for us. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, part of it, you know, the biggest issue and you know, like I said, we could talk, I could talk for hours on manufacturing process, but the biggest thing is timing. And, um, you know, you'll know, you know, I did everything, you know, to be honest, we've gone through a couple manufacturers and, you know, as a startup company, you know, you're not ordering hundreds of thousands of units, right? Yeah. You, might, you might not even be ordering 400 units, you know? Um, and so to, you know, 
I'm a business person, you know, you're a business person. Like if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I want, uh, 40 sessions this week, you know what I mean? You're going to prioritize for that person. Right. Or, you know, that's just a crazy example, but you know no, what I'm saying is it makes if somebody sense. comes into the manufacturer and says, Hey, I need a hundred thousand pair. And then I go and I say, Hey, I'd like 400 pair. Who is he going to pay attention to? And I don't blame him, but it's not how it should be. It's not how business should be and how we would like it to be, but that's just how it is. Um, and so part of it's building trust and saying, Hey, Someday I'm going to get to that hundred thousand pair. So just bear with me here and please provide me with the same quality service that you do to that customer, right? To the other customer. So yeah, we want to be American made. And we, uh, you know, I uh, sat down with Brendan and I told him about this concept because, um, you know, he had gone through injury. I had met him at my previous job and I told him I want to be American made. So I, we went, I went down to uh, North Carolina and we started sourcing out of North Carolina and, uh, you know, it's great. I mean, part of it is if you're, you know, I didn't know anything about yarns and fabrics and denier and, uh, uh, thickness and, you know, all these other terminologies, but it was great to learn, you know, and be open and say, Hey, you, you're the expert in this field. This is just what I want and we can test it and see how it works. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, we went down and, uh, you know, our first order, I think we might have ordered, you know, a thousand pair or 800 pair. I can't even remember. And, you know, there's issues, right? Like, that's okay. But the majority of the product was great. And now part of it is delivering on time, like I said. Like, if, you know, holiday season, we need product yeah. time. Um, you know, getting, you know, if we put in a purchase order, like, how long is it going to be being clear on that process and, like, making sure everybody is aligned on that goal of delivery? And, you know, you know, it's sad to say, but this first manufacturer didn't deliver. So, you know, instead of kicking, you know, and I, you know, I kind of blame myself for, for sticking with this person for as long as we did, because, you know, behavior is behavior. If it happens once, I mean, it's probably going to be a continued habit over time and there's no way to change that. And so I wish we had cut the ties earlier. And I mean, I, we did everything to try to create a great relationship. I mean, I remember my, uh, my aunt and uncle helped me. We like, we, they're in North Carolina. They probably never eaten a lobster in their life. Right. <laughs> like they never a good Maine lobster. We sent lobsters down to them. They like helped me and like try to, you know, we got whiskey for them. We were trying to create a great relationship. And like I said, sometimes people just, it doesn't mean anything to them because they're just talking dollars and cents. Right. And so try, even though we tried to build that relationship, it really just didn't, uh, you know, like, you know, what do you call it? It didn't, uh, prosper, I guess. Yeah. If you could give somebody, somebody that has, um, wants to make something, you know, U.S. made and is looking mm -hmm. for their first manufacturer, is there a mm -hmm. piece of advice you can do, like something to give them like a heads up in terms of vetting that person out in terms of what would be like a warning sign, potentially negative warning sign that you can throw out as a hint? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always big on uh, availability. If they're not going to take the time to see you and meet with you. And that's a big teller, you know, like, yeah. you know, you're a potential, you know, like you reach out to me on our site. Right. And I was like, Hey, I love your product. I mean, I could have just left that. Hey, thank you. know, whatever. Right. But it's like taking the time to thank the people and like maybe potentially you never know could be potentially more business. I mean, to a manufacturer, especially an American manufacturer where all these people are like, you know what, I'm not going to go to America. I'm going to go overseas and source it cheaper. Right. 
for any American manufacturer to ever not have the time for you is kind of crazy, you know? Um, and so I think if they don't have that time and like, you know, want to hear what you have to say and what you may provide and what you want to create, then, you know, go somewhere else. And, and a part of it is like, they all know each other. They probably won't tell you, you know, who, who you know, who the next manufacturer or who their competitor yeah. is. But, you know, obviously it's almost 2018. You can certainly find that, you know, online somewhere. Right. Yeah. For, for those that, uh, so my, my wife, Kim, she works in, um, designing accessories and apparel for yep. a licensing company. So for, for those that haven't had to manufacture an item, you know, uh, say a, a company comes and wants to have something designed, they'll design it, but then they'll also go to China and find the manufacturer. And yep. the manufacturer will provide basically in a lot of ways, like pre-made gloves that you then choose your fabrics and your logos and where you put your things on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in some aspects, some of these things aren't necessarily as original, but it's mm-hmm. also like, it's a big manufacturing thing. And just like Mike was saying, you know, the numbers are going to push your, the big numbers they'll get from a, a huge U S corporation mm-hmm. will offside any independent things. Mm-hmm. If anybody's read, um, or listen to the audiobook of Shoe Dog, you know, yep. the story of Nike, yep. you'll hear about all the nightmares of the manufacturing process mm-hmm. that they went through. And that still holds true to a lot of people today. Uh, you know, for my, you know, nerdy Godzilla vinyl collections, like I know yeah. Yeah. sometimes yeah. even just in getting into manufacturing to get the molds of those made, yep. um, uh, those are some issues. So I think in, 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 in knowing Josh Henkin and being in that pro- program long enough, you know, I've seen when <laughs> they've had some really big issues with the Ultimate Sandbags. Josh talked about them on, on the yeah. podcast. I think that's like a tricky thing. So I think that's a really good one that uh, something as simple as if they're available to you, if you have a product in mind, yeah. um, that's a good gauge. I wouldn't have yeah. thought of that. I don't know what I would have thought, actually, because I haven't had to have anything made yet. Yeah, simplicity is key. I mean, obviously, that's a, you know, a term that's thrown out there a lot, but our biggest learning is like, you know, the lower the skew, the clearer the view, right? Like if you have one color and, you know, we know black, medium, low now is going to sell like crazy because that's in the U.S. That's what most people's foot sizes are. And that's what they like and appreciate. We didn't know that when we started. Yeah. But no, to now have five colors, two styles, uh, all this stuff, it really makes things hard to sort of um, produce on time and, you know, deliver to a customer. Right. I mean, the customer gets to your site. If, if you have one color, two colors, that's great. I mean, now we're starting to learn nearly, if not more now than 50% of our customers are women. And, you know, believe it or not, women want choice. It doesn't have to be pink. It doesn't have to be purple. They want choice. And, you know, us men, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, what do you call it? Stereotyping here at all, but it's just true. I mean, women want choice. They don't necessarily want one color. It's nice to see options. Um, men are pretty much like a black school, whatever, red school. Yeah. Um, so you want to have some sort of choice there. Um, but yeah, I think um, as far as the manufacturing process, it's always a headache. It's never going to go away. The best, the best thing is that you want quality product on time and that's it. You know, for, you know, for some, you know, the credit card has been great for us too, because you can get terms, right? So like, as opposed to just, you know, okay, here's a, a $40,000 invoice or whatever it is paid on a debit card. It's like your cash flow is completely thrown off. You know, it's just awful. So as opposed to like, Hey, we'll pay half up front or give us terms net 30, whatever that is. And we can kind of work around it. Right. Um, so that's another big, big learning for us. 
Oh, that's great info. Uh, here's something, if you feel comfortable talking about it, certainly don't tell us numbers, but yep. how did you get your initial investment money into this? Like, did you guys self-fund this? Did you get investors? Yeah, so it was all self-funded. So actually, you know, just a little history on myself. So I used to work at Equinox selling memberships. Um, I did that for a little over a year. I saved up some money and, uh, you know, I like, I just didn't feel fulfilled. I think that's what a lot of people struggle with in life or me in particular. I don't mean to cast my own feelings onto other people, but, you know, fulfillment is huge in life. And I feel like, you know, I'm here, I'm, yeah, I'm selling a membership, which is, you know, which could help somebody live a healthier life, which is great. You know, and that's what we do to this day. I do that to this day, but, uh, I just didn't feel like, you know, hitting these goals and these numbers. And I think if I did really well at the job, I just did not feel like it was what I was, you know, it's kind of like, is this it? You know, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And so after a year and some months doing that, I was like, you know what? I saved up some money. I'm going to do some traveling. You know, I think that's a common theme you hear a lot, yeah. but you know, the kid that drops out of school does some traveling and whatever. But you know, uh, I want to, I just like lived in San Diego with four girls and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to surf and have a good time and learn how to surf. And I know you said you skateboard. I like, me on a skateboard would just be hilarious to watch. Uh, maybe I'll throw on some pedestals and get on a skateboard and just eat it. I, but, I'd be real careful on that one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I went to California. I learned how to surf. It was great. It was a good time. Cheap rent, obviously. And I was going to stay there. And then the landlord pulled a quick one. I was like, hey, you know, I thought it was just month to month. They're like, no, it's a year. And then a month to month after that. So I was like, okay, I'm not staying here. I'm out. So I was like, I'm not committing to living here for a year. And part of it was like, you know, I'm from Boston. I mean, everybody from Boston says they're from Boston, but I'm from the North Shore of Massachusetts at a little town called Ipswich. Um, but, you know, I think here in Boston, we're a little bit more uh, go, go, go. And, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. And there it was great to just relax and surf, but it just wasn't, I just didn't fit in and it wasn't for me. Um, and so my buddy at the time was actually living in Budapest, Hungary. And he was like oh, wow. working on a, at a water company. And I was like, yo, man, like, let me just come live on your couch. I mean, he, you know, he's open. He was single. He didn't care. He's like, yeah, sure. So I came, I lived on his couch for like four months and we traveled everywhere in Europe on the weekends, which is awesome. But, you know, even in Eastern Europe, this gym, actually, it's so funny. Two days ago, I got an email from this gym that I signed up in like four years ago. It's called Holmes Place in Budapest, Hungary. And he's like, hey, we noticed that you're in our, you know, former member, would you be interested in rejoining? <laughs> like, you know, it's funny. I sent it to my buddy I live with. We got a good laugh out of it. But even in this place in Eastern Europe, okay, there are people walking around in socks. So I was yeah. like, I was like, oh man, there's like, what, what's going on here? And obviously I didn't, you know, I would wear my regular socks too. And I was like, what's going on? And then I finally came home and like started to like, you know, kind of hash it out. But yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, those, the traveling and the journey really helped me. And you don't, you don't think about, you're not like, you don't like, oh, I have this idea. Now let me travel on. It's kind of like, you don't really have an idea. You travel and like things just come to you. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. So, uh, you know, I haven't traveled internationally too much. I've done, you know, uh, around the United States to teach more than I have for vacationing. But yeah. last year I was in Australia and I've been in Japan a few times and, you know, in Japan in particular, the socks was like a big thing. Like a lot of people are wearing, you know, the finger socks, yep. um, but not necessarily with the grip on it. But there's yeah. always does seem to be in fitness right now. Like it's a sweet time to 
have a, a product mm-hmm. like yours because the ever-growing awareness of it, and I think we're uh, the importance of using your feet, and I think we're kind of past that whole like Vibram, you know, lawsuit yeah. era where it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, they might have like <laughs> made some overstated claims, but nobody yeah. also said go run five miles your first time in, right. in you know five finger shoes. Yeah. Um, but you do get a different perspective, um, not just on the differences from cultures and how people live, but the, the cool ones are usually the similarities. Yes. Like it's really easy to sort of blend in with people more so than not. Yes. Um, and especially actually, in the world of fitness. Like, yeah, that's actually one of the things we get too often, speaking of the five finger thing, is we get a lot of requests for, do you have the finger sock toe things or whatever you want to call them the hand feet and uh feet hands and uh you know for us it's like everybody's toe what size foot are you Uh, 11 11 right so i could be a size 11 too right and our toes could be east and west right it could be (laughs) north and south it doesn't matter it's so different and so for me to make a sock or a shoe that has these five fingers on it expecting you to fit into it the same way I fit into it is not natural, right? We'd rather, like you said, have an open toe box where people can spread their feet and move their toes, right? To however their toes are formed, not try to form their toes into this standard box of toes, how everybody's toes should be. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll be honest too. Like coming from a skateboarding background, it's it's taken me a while just to get used to the idea of fitness shoes and like a tech <laughs> yeah. sneaker. Yeah, and you know, I, I you know, I do. Cyrus, what did you use to rock? I was a big like Vans and Etnies guy. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Etnies. Yeah, that's right. You know, Osiris. I, I didn't really roll on those, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I'm I'm old school. If like I remember Airwalks back, like yeah. the first round of Airwalks that had the shoelace savers and like a lot of rubber attached to them and they look like moon boots and yeah you know i had those first natus calpis uh etnies the first pro shoe <laughs> ever released but like yeah. i really like simple basic suede shoes right yep. low, low to mid top shoes um so when it comes to what i like about the socks is that they just look like nice socks from the top like they don't look like right some absurd fitness sock yeah, right? right yeah, yeah. um you know, they, so so that aspect I like, so that if they're peeking out of my sneakers and my pants when I'm walking around, like yeah. it just looks like I'm wearing normal socks. Yeah. And when I take them off, like it just looks like nice socks as opposed to like a statement foot. Yeah. I'm not into feet. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might have lots of quirks and fetishes, and feet just are not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that aspect. I actually prefer not to have the fingers and that stuff. Yeah. Um, the simplicity of it and the cleanliness of it. The yeah. I mean, I will say look in terms of look. Yeah. Like I will say that like, this is a concept that's been around for a long time. We're not, we didn't create some concept and start some like Ponzi scheme or some yeah. like, you know, whatever you call uh, those uh, supplement companies that sell you on, you know, you, you, you what, what are those things called? Those like, uh, Oh, I know uh, the pyramid things. Yeah. The pyramids. Yeah. Like the knives or whatever. I don't know. I forget what like, yeah. So like for us, it's just like, how do you make a product that serves the market, you know, and does a good job of doing that. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's two sides to our business or really three, but like, you know, whether you're an athlete looking for increased performance, you know, as we get into this, we start to look at these articles and research and we find like, you know, you actually jump higher with less impact on your body barefoot than you do in even a tennis shoe or a training sneaker. Oh, wow. 
And so for the athlete and the performance side of things, if they're looking to jump higher, run faster, move more efficiently, it's a great option. And, you know, obviously it's like, cause there's no sole in the foot, right? So you're pushing directly through the ground. So you're creating more force through the ground, which, and it's not getting like dispersed through a sole, right? So you're just jumping higher. And then upon landing proprioceptively, when you land, you're more aware of where you are in space. Right. Um, and then to like, you know, we know now, like my grandfather is 97 years old. Okay. Wow. And he broke his hip and, uh, we know that in the elderly population, like a slip and fall is like $75,000 average, 75 to $80,000 in medical expense, you know? And not only that, it's not that the money is the big thing. Then mentally, like you're somebody, you're like, you're that old. It's like, well, I don't want to like really take a risk and go outside. Now you're just sort of like sitting inside all day and you don't want to like move and walk because you're afraid you're going to fall again. Right. So it kind of sort of messes with your life that way. So you know, there's that population of the elderly individuals. And then there's obviously your people who just want to move and feel better and have back pain or uh, an ACL injury or ankle problems. Um, so those are sort of the three phases of our business. And, you know, obviously um, we've learned that over time, you know. Yeah. Um, let's switch gears for manufacturing. So one of the cool yeah. things that I've noticed, again, because I just sort of grassroots heard of you through friends. Mm -hmm. Um and then started in terms of like going onto the website and seeing the articles. And now admittedly you guys do show up because I think I've hashtagged you. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll, I will, I will have announced this in the beginning of the podcast in the, in, in the, in the previous introduction, but yeah. upon when, when Mike reached out to me, we actually have a discount code. So 15% off if you yeah. go and use the, uh, code coach Fury, capital C capital F. Um, yeah. but in researching some of that stuff before we spoke on there, You've gotten in a lot of great magazines and you've got a very good marketing approach. How did that come about? Because I think that's another thing that universal for any business, but yep. especially coaches that are relying more and more on a social media front, but mm -hmm. also you've done a great job of getting into magazines and publications because I think sometimes myself included, I focus on Facebook and social media way more than I should, I should be reaching a little bit bigger and you seem to have done a great job of doing that. What yeah, would you um, have on that front? Yeah, so actually it's funny. Uh, um, my business partner, Brendan, uh, went to Amherst College with, with BJ Godore, who was the former men's health fitness director. They played football together. Oh, wow. Uh, and so when we created our first product, Brendan just put it on his own social media. And obviously BJ follows him and was like, yo, this is awesome. What is this? Send me some. And it's been like that every time. It's been organic. And we haven't paid one lick to anybody to feature us in any of these things. All it is is obviously the cost of getting the product to the person, right? Wow. They want to test and review the product. Um, and so I think it's just word of mouth that way. We haven't really, we've been just really lucky. You know, honestly, a lot of this is luck. Um, but, you know, it's, it, you know, I remember the first time I'm like, oh, you guys are going to be in the Men's Health Magazine. This is like, May of 2016, I think it was. And I was like, oh, awesome. I can't wait to hang it up and like put it in my apartment and, you know, mm. whatever. It's like kind of like when you sell your first thing, you put a dollar, first dollar, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so uh, we got featured in the magazine and it's like kind of crickets. You know what I mean? We saw some sales, whatever, but online is where you're going to be able to share it, right? So what I did, I was like, you know what? Well, if nobody's going to see this, I'm going to make people see it. So we took our top customers or our whole customer file at the time. And I, we, uh, I wrote a thank you note 
and we scanned it. I got it copied like whatever it was, a few hundred times or whatever. And we sent it to our customers in an envelope, direct mail, with a feature of the men's health thing and like, thank you so much, just so that we could, you know, get it to them, right? Because um, not every one of our customers is picking up a men's health magazine. Sure. That's just not how it works. And so, uh, yeah, we sort of like wrote, hey, thank you so much. You know, your help got us into this magazine. We wanted you to see it, blah, 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 blah. And we sent it to them. And I think it did really well. And it created, you know, biggest thing about an e-commerce business is you might never meet your customer. I mean, we still haven't met. I mean, we're, you know, on this yeah. Zoom, whatever, we're on the Skype. But like, we have never really met each other. But and that's kind of the crazy thing is people can trust you without ever meeting you. And that was one of the biggest things that I had to get over. I remember the first time we sold a pair. I was like, I got up out of bed. I like ran, I wrote the note. I was so excited. And I still get excited like that every day, you know, that the people trust us with their, you know, their, their money they've worked hard for to deliver a product, either gift or have themselves. And so that's like one thing that really I'm passionate about is that people trust us. And so we want to deliver a great product. And I think that, um, you know, that's like, that's one of the most exciting things for both Brendan and I is having people that support us. And, you know, again, we'll never meet, we might never meet a lot of our customers, but all we can do is, you know, I'm sure you have this via social media, right? Yeah. Where, where people like, you'll have this social media relationship with someone and you'll finally meet them. You'll be like, Oh my God, it's so great to finally meet this person. I mean, and obviously sometimes it's a little weird, <laughs> well, because like yeah. they're completely different than what they might be on social media. Right. And so, yeah, to answer your question, it's been really organic. Uh, people off, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, authors or writers reaching out to us say, Hey, can I review your product and feature you in such and such and say, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, a big part of it too, we did a Kickstarter campaign, which we'd never, you know, we we're doing things just to, to try and see, you know, I never thought we'd be on Kickstarter. Um, and we did that in uh, last almost a year ago today. And that was a huge success for us. Um, and it sort of brought a lot of people into the fold and we were able to create like, you know, for anybody, actually, to your point, for anybody who's looking to try to start a company, I mean, Kickstarter, Indiegogo are great places to start. Um, it's a lot of work though. And like, you know, again, we learned a lot from it. Um, but yeah, I think, um, it's all been organic and sending product out. So obviously that's how we get it. I mean, it's not completely free. We're sending product, but you know, it's been like that. No, it's, it seems to be working really well. And I think there's something about, especially now this is the, again, folks, like what did we speak? We spoke for what, maybe like 15 minutes the first time on the phone yep. and, and then this. So for listeners, like Mike is just clearly a good dude, right? <laughs> so there's an authenticness to him. And I would imagine to Brendan that sells through that makes it a little easier. Um, for anybody in the fitness industry, and again, from the people that I know, like PG, PJ Striebel was talking about you guys last night on the call, Mark uh, Fisher, Josh Hankin. Um, in the fitness industry, there's one area, uh, areas, there's, there's one element of fitness industry that's completely bullshit. And unfortunately, it's usually the most public version of it. It's the, the idea of the biggest loser. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you go to any Bed Bath & Beyond right now, there's this weird plastic thing you stand on and you just spin. You can see infomercials for it all the time. <laughs> and, you know, if you go you to the shake weight next to it. Yeah, you know, the shake weights and stuff like people, those things make millions of dollars yep. on the false hope that that's going to be the easy fix, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So when somebody like yourself and Brendan comes out and makes a very simple product that mm-hmm. clearly just works, but also supports the intelligent side of fitness, right? Yes. 
because yeah. uh, sometimes this is an uphill battle for us. I think it's easy to support when it's authentic versus, you know, trying to make some like, uh, if you were overly salesy, yep. just trying to sell somebody on like the latest cutting edge wicking sock, I think that would be like something different. Like there's a sincerity that comes through yeah. and that it came through from solving a problem for yourself. Like how you said, something that you would use as opposed to projecting something people will buy. Yep. Um, I think that's a big one for all of us to sort of keep in context, not just if we decide to make a product, but for trainers in your services or whatever you're doing, like, mm-hmm. um, are you delivering something that you would want for yourself? Yeah. I, you know, uh, just not even fitness related product related. I mean, think about like fidget spinners and you're those more of those like tell Hollyboard things that caught on fire. And like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that come quickly, but they die quickly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's obviously driven through social media, right? Like we've had numerous people call us about investments or whatever that may be. And they, they're like, well, how are you doing this? And it's like, oh, it's all organic. We just get it to people who can roll the boat for us, who are authentic, who people trust. Um, and not the, hey, here's a fit tee and, you know, my ass is out, right? It's like that most guys aren't following this woman for her um, her fit tee, right? They're falling because yeah. she's a beautiful woman, which, you know, whatever. If you're a straight guy, that's what you're into or whatever, right? Like, uh, but it's not authentic and people see through that, right? And you can see the engagement on social. Like when you post an ad and it's blatantly an ad, you don't get nearly as much comments, likes, whatever, as opposed to just something that's a, hey, I really love this product or not even mentioning the product, but just using the product and the company can repost it or use it for their own, purpose right uh but yeah i, I think that uh um you know we that's basically slow and steady right just just know what you know what you do well and continue to do what you do well and you know the good thing about us is we see repeat business you know every 90 days right so like one in eight customers will come back to us in 90 days so we're about lifetime value we don't yeah. care what we have to do to get you in because we know you're going to love the product now and we know we're going to have you for a while Right. And that's one of the problems. And I would suggest that a lot of people who are starting a business, they think long term lifetime value, not how can I sell this person now? Because that's never going to work. It's more, hey, guess what? If I get this person in, they love the product. They're going to order for their parents. They're going to order for their brother. 90 days, 100 days, whatever it is. Um, So we consider it getting them enrolled. Right. Like you're enrolled in the pedestal program. And then if you have any issues, you know, reach out. It's like building a tribe versus selling to a customer. Right. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. I think that's super useful. Let's switch gears because yep. we're almost at the hour mark. Yep. Um, Jeez, wow. We're moving and grooving, baby. Yeah, man. It flew. <laughs> it's great. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of an odd timing for this as we switch gears. But uh, by the time this podcast comes out, something monumental will have happened and that is star wars the last jedi okay. will be out in the weekend have you gotten your star wars tickets yet i actually you know it's funny i uh was a huge star wars fan as a kid kind of lost touch with it and actually this weekend uh i have like a cabin house in franconia new hampshire it's supposed to be like negative 10 this week <laughs> like it's gonna my girlfriend's gonna be really pumped you know um and uh in the littleton new hampshire there's this Tiny town, whatever. They got cute little shops. You know, she can go shop and have a good time. But there is a cinema, and it's got two movies. But Star Wars is playing this weekend, so you best be damn. I'll be watching it this weekend. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, 
And not because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I think it's because it's what the offer is. It's yeah, it's just you have two movies. It's going to yeah, be that or yeah. like... Um, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a Tyler Perry movie or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or or uh, Lance Hart or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for it. I mean, to, to, to uh, get in touch with my childhood, I guess. Yeah, while I was in Japan, there was no, uh, you know, there, it was just Japanese TV. So I brought Force Awakens and Rogue One with me to rewatch before I go in. Not that Rogue One is in, you know, direct continuity of this one. But uh, yeah. I think that's actually my second favorite Star Wars movie. I, I kind of marvel at that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But now I'm like nervous. So we're recording this on Friday. Um, and last night was the, you know, the, the premiere night. And I'm like nervous about social media and getting spoilers before I go see it. Cause now I, as an adult, I want to go Thursday opening night, but yep. I knew I was going to have jet lag. Yep. Um, and I also, my kids get bummed if I were to see it before them. So we're going yeah. Saturday more tomorrow morning. What was your, um, what was your introduction to star Wars? Oh man. So this goes deep for me. So I specifically remember my dad taking me in the car to go to the local Lowe's movie theater in Levittown, Long Island at Nassau mall. (laughs) I remember having seen just a little bit of the TV commercial. And I remember being extremely scared to the point that I was crying in the car that I did not want to go into this movie theater. (laughs) And then I remember immediately just being in awe of the whole thing. And, uh, my dad and I didn't do a ton of stuff together, but I know yep. we went and saw Star Wars in a theater repeated times. Yep. They would take me out of school early when Empire and Return of the Jedi came out. Yep. Um, <laughs> I had all the toys as a kid. I wish I didn't sell them off at a yard sale. <laughs> yeah. uh, to the point where that is one of the things that got me into movies. So I ended up graduating as a film major. And wow. so that was a Star Wars is a part of it. Like if I had to say there was the most influential, one movie that influenced my life, um, yep. both in personality and culture, it's probably Star Wars followed by Airplane. Really? <laughs> in terms so of my sense you, of humor. How would you say that like it's developed over time? Do you think it's been better? Because a lot of people out there will say that, you know, the first version, you know, the first series or the first of anything was so much better. Like, you know, I I got into Star Wars, but then my dad really, like you like to your point, your parents obviously had a huge influence on what you're watching and what you're into. Yeah. James Bond was like my thing. And yeah. uh, we every you know every episode every movie that came out we were there we were, we bought the whole collection for him for for like father's day one year um and, and that was our thing and it's funny because i just started talking about this it's like isn't james bond like that thing that like every man wants to be you know it's like yeah well dressed like drives awesome cars like gets all the wind you know it's like the, the thing that every guy like you know manly man guy wants to gets wins every fight you know it's like so that that was like my thing that I got into. So I was into Star Wars, but now like James Bond, and I think over time it's not like it's not as good as I think it was when it was like you know ten years ago. When I, I, was- I think I think it's hard when with James Bond in particular how how much not only do the actors change, but yes. the tone of the movies change. So yes. my, my like, who's your favorite Bond of of all the actors? Who would you claim is your favorite Bond? Um. I mean, you know, obviously it's not going to be Daniel Craig. I'm going to tell you that. Um, you know, uh, that's tough. I don't know. I think um, my error, I am completely blanking on his name now, but my error was... Pierce Brosnan? Pierce Brosnan, absolutely. And, and, and I remember running into him. I was skiing in Utah. Oh, wow. And he was at the top, like Park City. He was there at the top. And I was like, 
starstruck, you know, like this Pierce Brosnan and he's skiing, you know, it's like, that's what he did in the movies, you know, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. So, uh, that, Pierce Brosnan for sure. Cause that was, you know, I was born in 90. So I'm, you know, that way he was, his movies were, yeah, his movies were coming out when, when I was, you know, like in the heyday of watching Bond movies, you know? So, so I, I, so I'm clearly way older than you cause I was born in 72. Uh, <laughs> So, my first car, my first car, believe it or not, was a 1979 oh, Cadillac wow. Fleetwood Brom. <laughs> had like white leather interior. It was like a boat, you know? It's the only car I ever really had, you know? That's it amazing. Five grand. It was a boat. And so to our point, though, I think like those were when real cars were made. You know, that thing was like a bulletproof, you know? That was like a real car. Yeah, I don't know how. I, say, I mean, you're, you know, you're born in 72. So obviously, like, you have that experience on me. But I'm even saying, like, in my limited experience with things prior to me being born or when I was, you know, in my early, you know, teen years, like I think a lot of things, the refrigerators were better, the, the cars were better, the, the stoves worked, you know, all those things. Cars so had, about the Star Wars too. Yeah. Cars certainly had more style back then. Like if yeah. uh, my dad had a, had a Chevy Malibu and, and yeah. if you look at the transition, he was, I think his was a, it was either a 69 or a 71. Yeah. And it's just a badass car. And yeah. if you looked at the transition through the 70s into the 80s of how it just became like just another yeah. boring ass car yeah. where yeah. everything starts to look like, you know, a, a, a CRV or, a, yeah. you, know, right. yeah. um, you know, a Nissan Sentra, especially yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Um, in terms of Star Wars, so clearly uh, I'm a fan of the original trilogy before they made the special editions. That's how I saw it. I still hope that one day. Um, I kind of can't believe it hasn't happened yet that we'll get the Blu-ray set of those. Yep. Um, those are my favorites. The prequels, though I enjoyed elements of them when they came out, they are a train wreck. Um, there's elements that I like, and I think if you can remove, you know, the effects were cutting edge. So my background was visual effects before I got into training. So, like, I'm a little heightenedly aware of, of visual effects in movies. Yes. They were cutting edge at the time, but you look at them now and they just look fake. Yeah, well, that's, that, that's what I was saying is because as technology has developed over time, it's a little like not authentic. And, you know, I think it, it looks cool, you know, and like the visually, but like you can see through it. But you can tell there's like quality actors in those prequels that are amazing, like Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And but they just are not acting to anything. Right. No yeah, sense. they're not even acting. Yeah. So there's not even this the emotional connection. And then, you know, the script. So I have my issues with with those. Yeah. It, admittedly, my kids, when they got introduced to those, they loved them. Like, yeah. you know, my daughter yeah. used to play with these little toys when she was like, my daughter from like two to three was kind of yeah. like a Star Wars savant. Yeah. They still love it, but it was kind of creepy how much she retained of like the character. So she'd be like two years old reenacting uh, Obi-Wan <laughs> getting Anakin into the lava fire, killing yeah. him dying or suffering. And then Padme giving birth to Luke and Leah and dying. Like she would reenact that. At, like, <laughs> I was like, kept doing over and over. Yeah. Um, I will say You're like, well, this is kind of creepy. <laughs> it's kind of, but it was also amazing. I'm not going to lie. It was like, <laughs> yeah. I was such a proud yeah. dad. I can't well, it's like that you're so into it. Yeah. Yeah. Is your I, wife I too or no? No, nah, not so much, but we have like crossover and like horror movies and stuff. So okay, uh, yeah, Kim yeah. and I are into a lot of the same music and horror movies. Yeah, horror movies are good depending on where depending on where and when, you know? Yeah. There's, there's places you don't want to be watching a horror movie, like, oh no. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes though, even like a bad horror movie is just a great, great night. Yeah, um yeah. 
But Force Awakens, which I know a lot of people thought it was just a retread, Force Awakens really felt like Star Wars to me, like where they, okay. they got characters, they, they, they shot with more practical. Yeah. Uh, I, like That movie is infinitely entertaining for me. Now, now educate me on that. What year would, you, would it like Force Awakens? For, Force Awakens, the one that Last Jedi, the one that just came out is the sequel. So this is the, that, that was the first start of like, the, I guess, the third trilogy. So episode okay. yeah. eight. Okay. Wait, okay. No, episode seven. Episode eight okay. coming out now, and yeah. then Rogue One, which technically takes place between the prequels and A New Hope. I think it's just I, I just rewatched that for like I don't know. I've probably seen that like fifteen times. I think that <laughs> yeah, is yeah. a pretty perfect movie through and through. Um, yeah. And one of the things that the good thing that came out about the prequels is like the Star Wars cartoons, Rebels and Clone Wars, if you get past the first few episodes and invest in them, were fascinating in terms yeah. of like really good storytelling. So, yeah. uh, you know, there, there was some bright spots that came out of that. And some of those characters have loose crossovers in Rogue One. Um, yeah. So like that's been cool. Yeah. Um, I think like the... Uh I, I don't remember. I went to like some convention in Boston. It was like the convention center, the Boston convention. They had like this opening for Star Wars. Uh, and I went with my buddy uh, when we were kids. And it was like, I think I was nine or 10, Steve. And this thing was like crazy. I mean, people were in uniform, you know, yeah. dressed up. And uh, I remember for some reason I had like, they gave like, you know, I play basketball around. They had like a Star Wars basketball. <laughs> and that, I don't know why, you know, whatever. But that was like, my buddy Pete got one and like, I didn't. And I was like furious that I didn't get Star Wars. You know, I was into Star Wars, but like, you know, it was fun to go to this thing and like it was the opening of the movie and blah, 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 blah. And that became like, you know, how do I get this Star Wars basketball? And I think like somewhere in a storage unit somewhere is this Star Wars basketball. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was like, that's all I remember. It was, like, it was black, and it said in white letters, Star Wars over it. And we would just play with that thing for hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, it was like, if your friend had the Adat Walker, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 that yeah. was like, wow, they're so fucking lucky or rich because <laughs> they have the Adat Walker. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's really cool to get to see the movies with the kids now and, and, and see them sort of marvel at it. Yeah. Um, so, tell me about tell me about, tell me about uh, uh, Japan. Do you need any, anything interesting? Like, like, what was your like? Uh, man, so, there? So, so, so Japan's fascinating to me. So I've always been a fan of uh, clearly Godzilla movies. I mean, it doesn't yeah. take much yep. to know Godzilla, but also when as a film major, Akira Kurosawa, Japanese cinema has always been. He's one of my favorite directors of all time. Like, he, he yep. may be the single greatest director in my opinion that's ever lived. Um, we cannot most people have no idea how heavily he personally has influenced a lot of American cinema and Italian cinema just across the board. So, um, and in college, uh, I, I did studied Eastern philosophy a lot. So there's just a lot of draws of going to Japan and, uh, you know, where I could see, you know, for example, I I just stayed in this area of Shiba in Tokyo and, Three blocks away from my Airbnb is a massive temple, Zojoji Temple. And yep. you can see, you know, this, um, it, it's just gorgeous. It's like, you know, it, it just calms that the fuck out of me. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then right behind it, you clearly see Tokyo Tower, which is now the second largest thing in Tokyo. Um, wow. I think the sky tree is bigger, bigger, but... I have seen, like, that's where Mothra's first, you know, like, larva egg attached. I've seen this thing get destroyed and climbed by kaiju. Yeah. 
so it's this amazing dichotomy. And then to be, um, you know, the outlier, you don't see uh, a, a lot of Caucasians or, you yes. know, it's like it's a heavy Japanese culture. There's yep. not a lot of English. It's not, you, go, you don't go there and there's like everyone speaks great English. It's a lot of yep. like trying to get by and pointing it, you know, yep. on the English menus. Yeah. Um, but I have found, like, I just love the people. Um, yep. Travis Johnson and Kaori Tani, who host me, uh, yep. are just dear friends that literally make my dreams come true. And they hang out with me for every meal. They take me to every Godzilla store and nerdy <laughs> place I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, was that your first time there, or have you been to Mubu? This, this was my third time to Japan. So okay. I taught with Josh Hankin and Travis um, – in Okinawa, we did um, nice. an, an HKC kettlebell cert and a, a DVRT level one um, for the military, for the Marines out there. Wow. And then um, last year, I came out and taught an HKC and sort of a, a pressing, a heavy pressing and OSE type course yep. that I came up with. And then this year, we did our original strength one day and an HKC kettlebell cert the next day. Yep. And next year, I get to go back. We're going to do an RKC, two-day RKC kettlebell certification. And we're looking to bring OS back and, and maybe do something with Indian clubs. Great. Yeah. Um, another like little like Fury <sighs> short one. Uh, the best things about Japan are the people. Yeah. Um, the second best thing, aside from the sights and the Godzilla, the toilets are amazing because, you know, the bidet technology, you realize we're barbarians in the United States just using toilet paper versus a bidet. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the absolute worst thing is that smoking is allowed in most restaurants. Oh, so yeah. on a weekend oh, in particular... Remember the smoking and non-smoking sections, though? With the, all the smoke would just pull over to the non-smoking. So well, that, like, oh. that's what happens there. Um, like, you know, and most of the restaurants are fairly small. So yeah. it can be really hard. Like Saturday night after the, uh, I think it was after the original strength course, we, we walked around for like a half an hour just trying to find a non-smoking spot. Uh. Um, so that's the worst thing. Yeah. But I, admittedly, it's very cool. It, Did you have it, a headache? Did you find yourself like having a head, like, you know, did you get like headaches, like being around all that like cigarette smoke? No, because we just didn't go in. We avoided yeah. <laughs> just, like, it. It's it's yeah. like that's like hell to me. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, admittedly, it's it, it's really weird at the start of a course. You forget how awkward it is when you can't talk to people, right? Like you can, uh, like because there is that language barrier barrier, and you're using a translator. And you know, last year I did say like, hey, I'm going to really try to study the language, and you know, life got in the way this year part of my Christmas gift to myself is going to be some type of a Rosetta stone so I can be yep. prepared next year. Yep. Um, but you know, they see that I have a Godzilla tattoo. They see that I can talk about ultra like they, that I actually appreciate and love the culture. Yep. And even though we can't exchange dialogue between not just being able to just share. Did you tell them you're an offspring of Godzilla? Did you tell it like just you know, so they, they, they kind of get it. Like if you look at some of the pictures, like they'll ask to do Godzilla poses. Like I'm not saying, hey, let's do a Godzilla pose in the group photo. Someone's like Godzilla. And it's like, so we all do it. Like it's just, they're, they're so appreciative of it. And just your nickname, I, they just call you Godzilla. No, nah, they, they go with fury as best oh, they okay. can. It's, right, it's yeah. just super. It's a, it's a, it's like a dream come true. Like I love teaching and to be able to go to japan and yeah. teach and yeah. get paid to do it I, I, it's like i still you know i've said this before every time i'm about to hop on a plane in particular to travel to teach and i realize that this all started with having a daughter 
and then having a son and then finding a metal ball with a handle, right? Like that's literally, you know, when it, that is where my journey is. Be a strong dad. Yeah. Fall in love with a kettlebell. Yeah. <laughs> to think that that's taken me to, you know, three years to Japan, four years with right. you know, 2018 yeah. already. It's, it's like, you never fucking know where life's going to take you. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so grateful for it. And right. You know, so Japan, Japan's amazing. I, I, I will say this is the year I finally figured out at the end the train lines a little better. So next year, I, I think I can go searching on my own so I okay. don't have to drag Travis and Kauri around. But yeah, I know they, exactly. they like hanging out. But yeah, like, yeah. I always feel like, shit, I'm taking you to another toy store. <laughs> yeah, um, just tell me to fuck off. If you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you can have a life. She <laughs> teaches all the time. And, you know, they, they're, they're sort of like the hub of education out there. Yeah. Um, but the gym owners are amazing and, you know, you see the different uh, areas of fitness that they're in. Like Travis and Cowrie have really brought DVRT, uh, yeah. making that more popular. TRX is very popular out there. Um, but, you know, kettlebells like are sort of like a newer thing. Yeah, and, great. Uh, opportunity. Yeah. Heavy, heavy strength training is, is not a super common thing yet. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and with original strength, what was fascinating about it was – you know, in, in OS, we talk about pressing reset to unlock our, you know, our body's potential. So you have a culture where people squat more often out the gate and they tend to move really well comparatively. Like I'd say if you took a hundred Japanese coaches and a hundred U.S. coaches, yep. whatever baseline facilities, they tend to move a little better. Uh -huh. um, not across the board, yep. but then you still have people just off of some diaphragmatic breathing suddenly moving better. Yep. You're like, holy shit, like you can you get a different sense of buy-in to the things you're already a part of. Yep. You know? So similar to like how you know I reached out to you because I liked your socks, like the systems I teach for are all things that I just fell in love with and, and yep. worked for me, and now I get to share that stuff. Um is so it's a translator process. Uh, you know what? Calorie's great because she speaks excellent English. Um, yeah. And, you know, she helped coach me up last year when I was out there. I, 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 I would talk for too long and then she'd have to talk for too long. Yeah. She, she really taught me to short, short sentences. Okay. Sentences, let her translate a couple of sentences, translate. You have to schedule for, you know, the time difference. Um, but it works really smooth that way. It's when you try to talk too much or you get amped and you don't break. Yeah. And they go through three minutes of you talking and then have to listen to three minutes of her talking or whoever your translator is versus if it's just, you keep it short, it, it, it flows really nicely. Yeah. I asked because, uh, recently I was helping a buddy. He's starting a company on, it's called posture break and it like helps, uh, he goes in the companies and they take like a 15 minute break and he go, takes them through flows only 15 minutes and he, you know, uses a conference room. So I helped him in like the video and, you know, putting the stuff together. And I met a lady on the set that she is a, uh, uh, sign language. Like she does sign language. Oh, wow. We translate. And it was so fascinating to me. Like I was like a kid and a kid, like, I was like, okay, do this. And I was like, tell her, okay, I went to Mississippi and got a red scarf, you know, whatever it was. And she was like doing it. And it was like unbelievable. And I had like such like, great respect for her because it was like this whole like i don't know the focus and the attention you have to have to be able to translate that and she said like you can have four people translating sign language doing sign language you have four people and they can all translate it differently right they yes. can like, it's like their own 
you know, way to do it. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody, but it was unbelievable to see. Yeah. That That is tricky, I know. And getting some of the paperwork and manuals and stuff trans, translated from English to Japanese, you have to be very mindful of how that goes yeah. because there's, you know, sort of like, uh, I guess the more formal system of it. And then there's the more like, this is actually how it's going to be interpreted by the people. Yeah. Um, but it worked really well. We actually had a group of five people from Taiwan at this. And yeah. so the woman who sort of spearheaded the, the, the group from Taiwan, Vicky, she spoke excellent English and J- Japanese oh. and was able to translate yeah, <laughs> as, as I was speaking. She was translating yeah. independent of, you know, the, the greater groups of her folks. Um, and they were a cool crew. Um, yeah, I know you were inappropriate a time or two just to see what they would say, right? <sighs> you know, one thing I said uh, was, was <laughs> I had a moment where I was trying to be mindful of my language because when I'm teaching for other groups like I, I, I've said this on the previous podcast so uh, the thing the only thing that changes in terms of like authentic fury is if you're drinking with me I'm going to curse more and my sense of humor is going to get dirtier yeah presenting I'm not going to I'm going to try not to curse and I'm going to just be cleaner but like yes. it's the same you know because I'm, yeah. I'm I'm presenting for it's not it's not the opportunity or the field for it right but there was a moment where I was trying to say something and the, in, the initial image in my mind went like a, that might be, uh, you know, a curse word or maybe it won't translate. And I came up with a quick alternate response. And then s- that response might have been <laughs> misconstrued as being slightly sexual. And I was like, not <laughs> in my head at all to think that way. So there are these moments. And clearly, this is like a heightened awareness thing that we're all going through in the States. Yes. Right yep. now, yep. With yep. going on. And this was coming off the heels of, you know, Tony Genelcore, who I know is a friend of yours, yep. Yep. Um, off of the blog he wrote yep. about an incident yep. in his course. So, you know, there's you, you trying to be respectful of everybody. But, you know, when you're presenting in front of a group of people, like you're feeling awkward and put not on the spot. Not to mention the cultural barrier. Like people don't get, might not get like sarcasm. Yeah. Or, and, and certain phrases aren't the same or there's no equivalent of the phrase yeah um so you're always trying to be uh funny and entertaining so you can keep people alert Mm -hmm. without being offensive and you know look i'll be honest like i got feedback once at a cert that um had several teams you know leading groups but i was one of the presenters and i used the phrase not to be a dick but yeah sometimes i like to make a point like look I don't want to be harsh about this, but yeah. you should really. And apparently someone like felt enough to complain to one of, you know, the higher ups that like they felt that was a highly in- inappropriate um, that I used the word dick. Now, I don't necessarily see dick as a curse word. Right. Um, Richard. Uh, yeah, right. Like <laughs> curse. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I don't see that as an offensive phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it carries the weight of saying bitch or something like yeah. that, but you're being um, you. I mean, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and, and I think there's a sense of, of levity behind it. Like, yeah. let me accentuate this point. I'm not yeah. saying it to, to say it, but like, let me Sorry. accentuate this point. Um, and someone was offended. Now I also know within, you know, some of the other groups, there was a, uh, an excessive amount of cursing that everyone got a kick out of. Right. right? Never so it's yet. this whole thing. You have a room of people, uh, you're not going to be able to fully please everyone, but I think I'm alert and open enough and em- sympathetic and empathetic enough that like I try to do a good job of reading the room. Um, and I think that is something that is more difficult in Japan because you're hoping 
or in any foreign language, you want everybody uh, to have a great experience. You want them to learn. They mm-hmm. want to feel that their their time, their training, and their money is well spent. Their time yep. away from their home and their family and their friends is well spent. And I want to know that whoever's hosting me, that they feel like this was not a mistake, that their time and investment in promoting a course, right. that the people that hire me to teach for them, that they feel their trust in me to teach and share their system is invested. Like I take that so seriously, but right. I don't take myself so seriously. Like I, you know, I, I, I want to, uh, you know, just create a, a fun learning environment that draws people in whatever I might be teaching so yeah. that they're going to further and, and you know, explore it because you're never going to remember everything in a three day or a two yes. day or one day course. Like that's right. impossible. That's one thing Brendan and I, you know, we always like, we just, sometimes we find ourselves like getting into the day to day and like all that stuff. And we're like, you know, we need to have some more fun. You know what I mean? It's like, and sometimes, you know, sometimes when you try to have a little bit of fun, people can take it the wrong way, you know? Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like, just be authentic. It's better than like trying to be somebody you aren't, you know, that's like, you know, and it's tough because like, you like you said, you're not going to please everybody, but like, it's a way in which you come across. Like if you're like, if you're like, yeah. don't be a dick and do it, but if you're like, Hey, don't be a dick. Just try, you know, it's, it's the way you're, and that's what I asked about this translator is like, you can't really translate emotion and tone. She, right. you, you can to some degree though right. like and, and it's also having a translator who's also uh like uh calorie instructs all the time like literally like she flew out to go teach the day as i was flying home so she oh, was yeah. all over japan um yeah. i think she was saying she hasn't like in a three-week period she's teaching five or six or you know between <laughs> presenting and teaching five or six courses um so you know she knows how to do that versus if i just hire if someone just hired an interpreter I don't think that would go through. Like yeah, she knows yeah. how to read her room. She knows yep. how to get like, you know, um, people are getting lost. Can you clarify this? Yeah. A little more information. How's your um, Japanese? Any good? Oh, it's horrible. It's, it's like, it's embarrassingly bad. Um, it's, there's a lot of pronunciation that it's easy to miss certain elements of it for me. Yeah. So like there's, but I, I really have none. Like I can talk about, you know, uh, instead of saying Ultraman, I'll be like Ultraman. Like I, I can. There's certain elements of stuff I can do. Uh, <laughs> that was very good. That's right. Yeah, you know, that was I, good I, Japanese. I, I'm trying to pick up the the trains into the formalities this time. Yeah. Um, but it is also like, admittedly, I for me to be a kid in a candy store going to Japan, it's just it's the sensory overload the whole time. So yeah. I'm seeing all these new places, all these new things. And I, it's just, it's hard for me to actually log it and store it in my brain for the next day. And plus on top of the jet lag and yeah. I, I didn't sleep much. So I was out there for a week and I didn't sleep much because I, you know, I'd get home exhausted, want to go to bed early. But then with the time, it was like the window to go talk to my kid, you know, FaceTime yeah. the kids and my wife. And so suddenly I'm up an extra hour and a half and then, you know, I'm teaching a course the next morning. So yeah. there was that whole thing. Like I'm, this is as, as, as sort of probably the most sense I've been making <laughs> since I've landed is this call. I saw a study actually that showed like, I think it was like 40 minutes, you know, don't quote me on this, but 40 minutes or something of like high intensity interval training, uh, in, like extremely reduced, like it reduces jet lag, like to a certain degree, like really what, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember this, the, the but just something about high intensity interval training, uh, really helps with jet lag. Well, um, I'm definitely yeah. going to go work out today. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
because I have to unplane myself. I've been in the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just I just saw that somewhere. And yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, Mike, uh, tell the people we're gonna wrap this up because yep. man, you're you're a good dude. You're easy to talk to. <laughs> I like you, Mike. Well, they call it social capital. Is that what it's called or something? I think Is it's it? like. Yeah, there's like some term I learned the other day. It's like the ability to just talk about random shit <laughs> for a while and like be able to like, you know, if you just brought up like, you know, certain like current events, right? You can talk about those for day. Yeah, I think that's yeah, like, ran- random shit sort of my, yeah. my one story. of my friends is like really good at knowing a lot about nothing. Like he'll fucking tell you <laughs> about like he loved like wrestling growing up. Like that was his thing. Like WWE. Like I went over his house the other day. He had like the package where you could like go. And like, you go to like ladder match, 1999, like big show versus whatever. And you can, Oh man, that's like like Dudley boys era. Well, let's, let's, let's end it on that note. (laughs) Uh, Hey Mike, how can people find out more about, uh, pedestal footwear and, and, and reach out to you? Yeah. So you can find us at pedestalfootwear.com. You know, we're on Instagram, Twitter. Um, you know, you can also email us. It's hello at pedestalfootwear.com. Um, and yeah, just, uh, I guess that's where you can find us. Awesome. Hey, Mike, can you tell the people to die mighty? Die mighty. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure talking with you and getting to know you, Mike. Uh, I think regardless if you're into fitness or just thinking of having a business idea, I think there's a lot to gain um, from listening to this episode. So uh, stoked for you to provide that. Uh, everybody, um, as always, thank you to the FTW for the metal music. Uh, Glenn Murrieta for doing the Godzilla sketches. Uh, Ridge Carpenter for making the Die Mighty logo. If you're interested in looking up any upcoming courses or training with me either in person or online, visit CoachFury.com. If you want to support the podcast, uh, become a patron at Patreon.com uh, slash CoachFuryPodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash CoachFuryPodcast. And you can make a donation for the for the podcast, which is going to help me either get some new gear or on a different platform or feed my kids either one of those things um you know always helps and stay tuned for the next episode please subscribe rate review um it's great to be back and to have another episode and thank you all for listening the coach fury podcast is created owned and produced by yours truly steve coach fury holliner for fury industries llc Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Murrieta. Visit glennmurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Murrieta. Thanks, everyone.